worship God like that, and I'm just sitting down there worshiping this morning, been sweating all morning, just worshiping our King. This is what we're called to do, is to worship God like that, and we'll worship Him for all eternity. All those that are here today that have called upon Jesus as our Lord and Savior, understand what it's like to have our sins forgiven, to have that debt canceled, and to have the confident hope that we'll live forever in eternity with God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy. What a joy it is. This morning, I want to talk to you about uh, a verse that many of you have already memorized. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most memorized verses on the planet. And even if you're not a church person, you've probably heard this verse, and you can probably complete the sentence when I begin to lead, lead you in it. And so just for kicks and grins, right, kicks and giggles, whatever we call it, uh, entertain me here. Let's see how many people know how to answer and complete this verse. For I can do all things through Christ. Right. And it's like we know it, don't we? And this is one of those verses that is so popularly uh, and widely memorized. It is on plaques and coffee cups. Uh, we have underlined it. We have spoken about it. We have claimed it. And we have used it. Uh, and it, but it is also a verse that is most often used out of context. Uh, we use it in every application of our lives. And while I believe that the premise of this verse has wide applications, and I believe that it applies to almost every area of our lives, it doesn't apply to every circumstance. And what I mean by that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, no, you can't. And what I mean by that is, well, I can't have a baby. Some of you, shorter people, can't ever dunk a basketball. I mean, there's just some things that we're limited to do in our physical condition. And so while that verse is true on multiple levels, it isn't necessarily globally true on every level. And so I just want this morning to teach on that verse, specifically in a passage of context, to make sure that we understand what the original intent was about it, to empower you to use it in the proper way, and then allow you to use it in a way that I think will fit your life and to be able to use it in every context of your life where, where this verse can apply. Because ultimately, uh, we know that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect, right? And in our weakness, God is, uh, can, can allow us to do impossible things. And through God's strength, the impossible is made possible. And so, yes, uh, all things in, in, in what God's will is for your life, um, you can do all things. And he will give you the strength to accomplish those things. And so uh, I'm not trying to take the verse away from you, but I do want to make sure that we're good stewards and we're good students of God's word as it relates to this passage of scripture. And so the, the statement was first penned by the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, uh, and he was using this verse uh, as a statement to hinge around the thought of contentment, dealing specifically with financial provision. Uh, being content and living in a season or talking about seasons of difficulty, whether you were in seasons of, uh, of, great, uh, of great provision or also seasons of difficult provisions where you didn't have anything. And Paul was saying that, that he's learned that, he can, that God will, will give him strength um, and that in God's strength he can get through 
all these circumstances. And so he's learned that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. And so we're going to look at that verse today, and we're going to understand that Paul talks about the secret sauce, which I love to say the secret sauce. It's really my kind of my, my catchphrase, and, and many of you have adopted those, those statements as well, because there's, there's some secrets, but Paul actually says, there's a secret. I've learned the secret. So we're going to learn the secret of contentment today. And so, uh, so in case you're one of those people that turn out quickly and you forget, here's the secret, is that the secret is, is in trusting God, is that when you learn to trust God and, those, and contentment, those two things are inextricably linked. And when we can put those things together and we can learn to trust God in contentment and understand provision, man, suddenly everything begins to fall in place around this verse. And so we want to learn that today, but let's put it in context and then let's unpack it. And so in Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church with you and underline, get a pen and underline things in your Bible because you'll want to leave little truths behind and notes that apply to you so that when you're later reading your word, you can find out how God was speaking to you and teaching you with truths that are applying to your lives over the course of your life. And so in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10. Paul begins thanking the church at Philippi. That's the letter. It's written to the church at Philippi. And he's thanking them for their financial help. They've been very faithful to Paul over the course of his ministry. And he's just simply saying thank you in the beginning of this letter. He says, how I, pray, uh, how I praise the Lord that you uh, are concerned about me again. I, I know you've always been concerned for me. But you didn't have the chance to help me. So he's saying, you know, sometimes you don't always have the chance to, 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 to give me help, but, the, but you've always been concerned about me. And then he jumps right into it. And this is a verse that we need to spend some time really understanding. He says, not that I have ever, uh, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Man, so much is said in this verse 11. So, so much is said. Not that I was ever in need. I want you to underline or underscore, circle, highlight, whatever, the word need. And I want you to also uh, underline the word learned. Because those are the two kind of key phrases that are, under, are words that we really need to understand. And, and the first thing that when we read a verse like this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content, we want to naturally draw to the phrase, I've learned how to be content. Because there is a process of learning in contentment. And so I want you to write down this morning that, that contentment is learned. And so Paul's saying, I've learned how to be content. And I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. But, but Paul, when he says that I, not that I was ever in need, because we know who Paul is and because he's written so much in the New Testament for us, we know his backstory. And because we know who he is and we have record of his backstory, we know that that statement was a huge understatement. When he says, well, not that I was ever in need, it's the biggest understatement of the year, perhaps. Because Paul was a man that has spent a lot of time in a lot of need. In fact, we're going to look in Scripture where he was in a lot of need just in just a moment. And so when he says that, that I have learned how to be content, what he's saying is, experientially, I, I've been in times of desperate need. And it was in times of those desperate need that I had some schooling and some tests and some lessons and really understanding what contentment was. You see, I can sit up here and I can preach to you a message on contentment. And you can read a book on contentment. But you will never truly be content until you go through a season where you're in need. 
and where God gives you comfort and when God provides and cares for you and you learn that you can live on less than you thought you could live and that God provides what you need and not what you think you have to have. Now, some of you are old enough in the room to have lived stories like this and some of you have parents who have lived stories like this. But for those that have not lived this story, you can't even find contentment based upon your parents' version of a story of contentment. Again, it's something that you have to learn. And it's not book knowledge. And, it's, and I wish it could be. But it seems to be found in experiential knowledge. And Paul's saying, well, not that I ever was in need, which we're going to learn that it was an understatement. He said, I've learned. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. It was this experiential learning. And he said, I've learned the secret. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing. He goes on to pack a little bit about what this need is. We're going to see more in detail in another verse in a second, but let's read verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing. And I also live how to, I know how to live with, with everything. He goes on to say, I, I, I have learned the secret in, in, of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or on an empty stomach, and with plenty or with little. Have you ever had an empty stomach? You know what Paul's saying is, I, I know what it's like to have an empty stomach. You're beginning to see that Paul has a little more behind the scenes to verse 11 when he says, not that I was ever in need. What could he mean by that? What was he thinking? What was he saying? He's saying there was something behind the story, and I want to know what that is. Because when, when, it all, when it's all said and done, Paul's figured something out. Is that as difficult as it was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what was it? Let's read part of his backstory, shall we? Well, Philippians, the book we're looking at, was written in, in uh, 61 A.D., and so let's look at Corinthians. So go back to 1 Corinthians. If you have, I'm not going to put this on the screen. I'm going to test you. Did you bring your Bible? I want to hear papers turn. So go back uh, and you wanted to turn to 1 Corinthians, okay? Chapter 4. And so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Every week I'm going to give you a verse that's not on the screen just so you have to look it up, all right? So that's my little eh on you, right? Bring your Bibles. And if you leave your Bible behind, I'll make you a promise. I will hand deliver it back to your house unless you live in New Jersey or Alaska or something like that, okay? Uh, I want to make sure you don't leave your Bibles here, but, um, but bring your Bibles with you. So, so Philippians, the, verse, the chapter we were just in, written in 61 AD, Corinthians 55 AD, and so six years earlier, we're going to hear Paul talking about a time that he was in need. Now, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. Some say he's in a time of righteous indignation. He's being a little sarcastic. He's frustrated. People are comparing what preacher is better than the other, what leader to follow. And he's like trying to lower the playing field in everyone. He's saying, don't follow us for who we are. We're nobody. And we suffer just like anybody else. And so Paul is getting ready to kind of vent on all of his frustrations of the sufferings. And so it sounds like he's really complaining, okay? And so when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're going to go, oh, dude, like he's really suffering. But it's so helpful for us to know like what he says, well, I don't really, I, not that I've ever really been in need. Malarkey, look at the need he's in. So read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. 
He says, even now, guys, we go hungry and we're thirsty. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And get this, we don't even have enough clothes to keep us warm. He's freezing. The nights are cold. He's freezing. We're often beaten. We have no home. This sounds like somebody who's in need, doesn't it? Verse 13 talks about how we're treated, um, we are treated like the world's garbage, he says in the NLT, like like everybody's trash, right up to this very present moment. If you read the whole passage, you'll hear him talk about that he's weak and that he's abused and that he's treated unfairly and that people speak evil of him. Just scan through that passage of scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you're going to go, man, dude. And so when you look through back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, not that I was ever in need. Of course he was in need. He was in profound need. He understood what it was like, but yet somehow in that need, there he learned the secret (laughs) of living. Whether he was well fed or whether he had clothes on his back or whether he was freezing to death, whether he was had a meal in his stomach, or whether he was starving. He learned to be content. And it wasn't because he had some interpersonal strength that he could muster up inside of him. Because because obviously if that was the case, he wouldn't have written verse 13. Because he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He knows that the only way he can do what he was describing and the only way that he could, that you could do, that we could do this side of history when we would read this is that the only way we could get through this is that we could somehow learn to trust God in the same way. For I've learned to be content in every situation. So hopefully you wrote it down. Contentment is learned, but it's learned through experience. Contentment is learned through experience, not just through head knowledge. So are you, are you currently in a, in a time of profound need in your life? Are you going through something right now that you would say is a time of profound need, where you need God to show up? Well, if so, you're not alone. Paul has walked this path, and he's saying that God can provide, and he will provide, and he is aware of what it is that you're going through. Paul says, man, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to go through the difficulty and the waiting and the process of all the stress that's associated with that. But God is aware, and God is your provider, and he will provide what you need. He will get you through it. And in the process, you will learn something so valuable. You will learn that even though you feel like you need more, God will teach you that even in, that, even in his provision, sometimes even though it feels small, it will be enough. And you will learn the secret of living, which will be contentment. And ultimately, you will learn that through Christ, not through your own strength, not through reasoning, but through Christ, who gives you strength, you can do it. Paul learned this because he sat in those difficult times of need and didn't try to solve it in his own strength. And that's how we are going to learn to do it ourselves as well. 
we need to take that burden and we need to take it to the only one worthy, the only one trustworthy to be able to meet our needs, and that's God. So, Pastor, are you saying that, that I don't have to work in order to accomplish meeting my needs? Well, if you've heard that, then you're hearing incorrectly. Because that would be inconsistent with what Scripture says about laziness. God's Word does, never tells us to be lazy. God's Word reminds us always that we should be faithful at work and that we should never just sit on our hands. God's Word reminds us that we should always be diligent in our work and to earn an honest day's labor and wage. And so where it is possible for you and where you should and where you can, you should always be working. But we have to understand, too, that there's times that in seasons in our lives where we can't find a job, and we're working to find a job, and we should be diligent to do that. But what, what I'm saying is what Paul sit, sat in this time of need is that he didn't just go crazy and stir crazy, and he rested in God while he did all the things he was supposed to do. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about the things that he was working. Paul was diligently working in these times. He did the work. And he was resting and trusting in God all along. And that's how we're supposed to do it too. We trust in God. He's our provider. But we also are responsible for the work that we're supposed to do. Paul learned contentment by enduring and sitting and waiting in times of need, trusting in God to provide. And then doing everything that God, God required of him to do. So if you're in a time of need right now, you need to remind yourself, I'm in a learning process, not in a lazy process. I'm in a learning process, but in that learning process, I'm to rest in my mind and trust God, and then ask God to direct my steps on what I'm supposed to do, because God's teaching you something about Him during this season. So what is it that God's teaching you? You're in a learning process. He's teaching you something about contentment. He's teaching you something about your need. He's teaching you about something about your resources. He's teaching you something about himself. He's teaching you something about trusting him. He's teaching you so many different things. And we want to get out of the waiting process. We want to get out of this need process. But it's a learning process. And so we need to learn all we can because potentially what we learn in this process right now may get us through this process sooner. So be a good student of the learning process. And as you wait, pray the scripture back to God that I'm going to be content in whatever situation I'm in. And I can do this with your strength. You see how I took that verse and I just turned it into a prayer? Father, I'm going to be content. In whatever situation I'm in, whether you've given me all I need or I'm hungry. But I'm going to trust that I can do this through your strength. And we just turn scripture back, we turn those scriptures back into prayers and we trust God. And the passage of scripture continues and then Paul, now what he's getting ready to do is he's going to talk back to the church at Philippi and he's going to thank them for their financial help. Remember, this is a letter kind of thanking them for their help. This is how it begins. And he's going to thank them for their help, but then something really unique happens. And this is important to pay attention to because it, it's going to, it can kind of feel like it's going to get boring for a second, but it's not. It gets kind of cool. Paul's going to thank this church for their financial help, but he's going to quickly connect this gift not to those people, but to God. 
And so here's what he does. He expresses his appreciation for the church at Philippi, but ultimately he gives credit to God for the financial help that he gets. Because it's so important that we don't connect. Because here's what's going to happen. In your time of need, oftentimes God is going to send people to assist you. He's going to, give, he's going to provide a job to assist you. There's going to be someone who may step forward to say, hey, you know what? I want to help you in this time of need. And there's a temptation to thank the job and to thank the person. And what Paul's going to, what Paul's teaching us here is that, man, God uses those people, but ultimately that provision comes from God. And he doesn't want us to get that mixed up. And so look, what, look how he demonstrates that. It's subtle, but you can miss it. But I'm going to hopefully show it to you here in verse 14. So he, he talks to the church of Philippi. He says, even though you've, you've done well to share in my, in my present difficulty, as you know, verse 15, as you know, you guys, you Philippians, you were the only ones who really gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. You guys were the ones. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you all sent me help more than once. And I don't say this because I'm trying to get a gift from you. He's not just buttering them up to get more money, okay? He says, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. He's like, listen, I just, I just want to acknowledge the fact you've been incredibly generous, and I just, want to, I, want to, I just pray that God will bless you for that generosity. And I just got to say, on behalf of my family, for those in the church, I mean, we've been going through this cancer journey now for over a year and a half, and there has been people in the church that have helped us in times, whether it's been a meal or whether it's been through a financial gift or a gift card or just in small practical ways and in some large ways. The timing of what God has prompted you to do has been absolutely huge. And I echo what Paul says here, man, in, in, in our times of need, it, it, somehow or another, God has met those times of need. And I just pray that he will richly reward you for those times. So thank you. Because this is what Paul's saying to the church. Like, I'm not asking for something. I don't need anything. I'm just simply saying thank you. And Paul's saying the same thing. I want, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And I pray that God rewards you for your kindness as well to my family. Because he says at verse 18, at the moment I have everything I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Aphroditus, with uh, Epaphroditus. They are all sweet-smelling sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. Isn't that beautiful? He realizes that the gifts that were given were sacrificial gifts, and they're pleasing to God. And then here it is. Here's that declaration. So he's saying, man, I, I, know, that, I know that what you gave was sacrificial for you, but here's where the turn is. It's so subtle and so beautiful. He says, and this same God who takes care of me <laughs> will supply all your needs. Did you catch it? It's so subtle. He's saying, I, I know, thank you for what you've done, but the same God who supplies all my needs, not you who supply all my needs, but the same God who supplies all my needs. You see what he just did there? He's like, thank you for what you've done, but the same God who supplies all my needs is going to supply all your needs. He's saying that God the Father is the one that's taking care of me. He just happens to be using you in that process. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things. It's so important that we don't miss that up. Because when someone is, 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 is a blessing to you and helps you out, you, know, you, you need to make sure that you are, you are appreciative to it, but to quickly give glory to God for that provision. That's how that works. Paul demonstrates that. While God clearly used the Philippian church to bless him, Paul's quick to point out that God is the source of all provision. And so that's what you and I need to take away today. God, write this down, is the source of everything you have. 
All of your provisions come from God. It's not your job. It's not your retirement plan. It's not your 401k. It's not anything. It's not the person who just gave you a couple hundred bucks to get tires. It's not whatever. It's not, you're not connected to that person. Just like, man, it's so important as a church. We walk through this all the time. And as, as, a, as a pastor, I, I, I try my best and I work hard to make sure that I don't get involved in the giving of the church. Because I don't ever want to confuse someone's tithes or someone's gift or a large gift or anything like that. I try not to I do my best to try not to get involved in any of that stuff. Unless you tell me about it. I mean, honestly, that's what I try. I mean, outside of that, I try to stay out of that stuff because I don't want to have that influence our relationship and I don't want it to ever change in my eyes that you are helping provide for this church because God's the provider of this church. I mean, the weekly needs of this church, yes, are met through the people of this church. But how is that done? Through God's provision, he prompts the hearts of our people. Do you see how that works? And I can never get that wrong because if I do, then God will change my leadership and, he'll, and it'll affect the way I lead. But when I understand it's God that I'm serving, then, it, then that's, how I, that's where my allegiance is. And that's where I'll, I'll be able to speak the truth and always in love. Man, so important. So the same way for you. Whenever God's providing for you, you have to remember that it comes from him. He may use people, but it ultimately comes from him. When you fully understand and trust God that he's the source of all your provisions, it's a game changer. It changes everything. Because if God's my provider, he's my full provider, then he must know everything I need. And if he knows everything I need, then he must know exactly how much I need. And if God knows how much I need and he's my full provider, then he must give me enough in order to get through. And he must give me enough to accomplish everything that will bring me joy and favor in my life. And you know what I know about, you know what I know about your father? Because he's my father too. He gives good gifts. He wants you to live a life where you can be generous. He wants you to live a life where you can be joyful he wants you to be a good steward of what it is that he gives you. As a parent, if you gave your children money and you said, here's the love, here's a gift, you'd want them to be a good steward of that gift. If they just squandered it, you'd be frustrated with them, wouldn't you? So when God gives us a, our gift, when he provides for us, he is entrusting to you. He wants you to be a good manager, a good steward of that gift. That's why it's important, like tonight, the budget. You know, you know, you should know where your money goes. God is God's your provider. We shouldn't be wondering where the money went at the end of the month. How come I don't have any money left? We should know. Every dollar should have a name. It should know where it goes before the month begins. You know how much you get paid. Most of us have a consistent paycheck. So we should know where that money goes. There should be money associated to God. There should be money associated to the thing, your, your fixed expenses and savings and planning for the future and for fun. And so, man, if, you, if, you, if, if you're living like out of balance with that, come to this finance class tonight and learn how to have a budget because it's an important thing. But God's the source of your provision. We're just the manager of it to be a good steward of it. If God's my provider, he knows how much I need, and so therefore he'll give me everything that I need. And so why is it that I can't be content with that? 
And if I'm not content with that, I have a heart issue. And the only way to fix the heart issues for a couple lessons I got to learn and contentment is learned. And so I've got to usually take a couple tests and those stink. <laughs> have you ever been through a hard contentment lesson? Oh, I think we all have at one point in time. And if you haven't, buckle up. <laughs> They're no fun. I think that every believer in the room who's walked this road for any length of time will tell you that God does provide you everything you need. But there's sometimes that God provides for you by giving you nothing at all in order for you to really experience what real need feels like so that you can really understand and the joy of when he meets that provision for you in your life. That's tough. It's hard, but it's a loving God, and that's what he does to teach us. God is the source of everything that we have. He's our provider. When we get that right, contentment's easier. But in order for us to believe he's our provider, we have to trust in that. And that sometimes is, is hard because I think sometimes we like to trust in ourselves. We like to trust in humans. We like to trust in people. But Jeremiah 17 gives us a big warning about that, and so I want to read this warning with you today, Jeremiah 17. This is actually going to be on the screen. You can turn your Bibles if you want to, but this is going to be on the screen for you. It says, this is what the Lord says. Notice there's going to be a curse and a blessing. The curse is for people who don't trust in God. They trust in humans. Here's the curse. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Notice what he says that they're like. They're like a stunted shrub in the desert. With no hope for the future, they'll live in a barren wilderness with an uninhabited, salty land. There's just this dry and shriveled. So if you're going to trust in your own strength, you're going to trust in people for your provision, it's going to be unsatisfying, and it's never going to flourish. But, verse 7, here's the blessing. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and made the Lord their hope and confidence. Because they are like trees that are planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water where there's an endless supply of water and nutrition. Such trees, well, they're not bothered by the variations of life, right? The heat, and they're not worried by long months of drought. In your life, those seasons of plenty, those seasons of lacking, they're not, they're not bothered by that because their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. What a beautiful picture of contentment. When we trust in the Lord as our provider and we find contentment in whatever provision he gives us, suddenly we can be joyful. And Paul says, I found the secret to con- I've found the secret to life. It's in contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I have a lot or a little, I've learned. I mean, that's hard. And look, it, trust me, it's hard when I have a little. It's hard when I'm hungry. It's hard when things are difficult. But I've learned through Christ, I can do it. I can find contentment. And I can still maintain my joy. And I can be content. What he's saying, and this, this picture of this tree planted by water, producing fruit and staying green, it's not just shriveling up and dying. I mean, you and I can live our life content and still productive and producing fruit, even during seasons where we have very little. Man, how beautiful is that? God's provision can be trusted in all circumstances, at all times, and in all seasons. It's really cool. 
So why is it so hard for us to trust? Why is it so hard for us to accept that? I mean, he's our provider. Why is it hard for us to trust that? I mean, we trust him that he's the creator of the world. We trust him that he is um, our savior. We trust him for all of eternity, like for the biggest thing in the world, our eternity, our souls for all eternity. But yet we're like worried, is he going to provide for me so I can pay my light bill? Is he going to provide for me so I can, you know, pay for graduation? Is he going to provide for me so I can X, Y, Z? I think that maybe we never experienced his provision. I think some reasons, I hear a few reasons I was just thinking this through, and I think maybe one of the reasons that you and I rarely are struggle with, with this issue and that we don't see his provision is because, number one, we, we rarely give him a chance to provide. Uh, the reason that we don't see his provision sometimes is that we're too anxious. We, we're, we're impatient. We don't give him a chance to actually step in and do anything. As soon as it gets uncomfortable, like, we solve it. As soon as I need something, I buy it, regardless I have the money for it. I can get it on Prime tomorrow, so I don't even, God, I know, I, I don't care. I can just click, it's done, visa. Like, I, I do that. Do you do that? Anyone else? Come on. I'm guilty. I got a coffee maker coming tomorrow. <laughs> I do. I already have a coffee maker. I just bought another coffee maker because it looked better. And we're addicted to coffee in my house. Don't judge me. I am nicer with coffee. But we never give God a chance to provide because we're too impatient. We take matters into our own hands. Sometimes we don't experience God provision because, or contentment because we choose inferior replacements. This will do. This will be okay. And the happiness doesn't last or the contentment doesn't last because it was inferior. And the joy doesn't last because it was inferior. And lastly, we choose debt over God's provision. I can't wait for God to solve this, and so I'm going to go in debt for it. Why would we choose debt over provision? And, you know, to be honest... I think the biggest, come on, man, this is huge, wow. I think the biggest mistake here in this issue can come with your eternity. <laughs> Let me talk, listen, if you're, if you're here today or listening online and you're not what you would consider a church person, a religious person, I need you to pay attention two minutes and then I'm going to be done. Because what I'm getting ready to say regarding debt and provision is not financial, okay? So, don't, so tune back in with me a second because what I'm getting ready to say is so much bigger than the debt and dollars kind of thing, okay? It has everything to do with your whole entire life and eternity. Because you can choose debt over God's provision with your salvation and, this is, and you'll screw up forever and you'll be like, you'll wish you would have paid attention. Here's the deal. Is that... You and I have a sin problem. The entire world is a sin problem. And that sin problem is, uh, it puts us in debt to, to a, uh, a, a penalty that we have to pay. The Bible says that everybody sinned and that the wages or the penalty or the debt of that sin is death. And you can pay that yourself. You can pay your death penalty yourself. And how you pay it is that when you die, you will spend eternity paying for your sins, separated from God in hell. For all eternity, that's where you will spend in torment from God. 
that's how you pay it, your sin penalty. That sucks. I'm sorry. That's terrible. So you can pay that debt yourself, or you can choose to let somebody else pay for it. But who would be that nice? Who would do that? God did that. God provided a solution for it. So you can choose debt, or you can choose God's provision. How did God provide it? He provided his son, Jesus Christ. You see, back in the Old Testament, the old part of the Bible, you'll hear stories after stories of animal sacrifices. You'll hear stories about a sacrifice and a name that was given to God called Jehovah Jireh, meaning he's the provider, God that provides. How did he get that name? He, he got that name because he provided a sacrifice which took away a penalty of death for an individual, Abraham and Isaac. There was a story back in the Old Testament. And then we we'll later see in the, in the Bible, through the temple worship, that you would have to sacrifice a lamb in order to have your sins forgiven. So there had to be a death of a lamb in order for your sins to be forgiven. And that would pay the price for a season for people to have their sins forgiven. But that was only temporary. But then Jesus comes on the scene. He was called the Lamb of God. We sang about it a little while ago. Forever we're glorified. Forever forever he is, he is he's risen. He is alive. He's the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. This Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, he died. He was the Lamb that died for your sins. And, but when he died, his blood covered the sins of the entire world. That sounds incredible, doesn't it? Except... It doesn't cover your sins unless you accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's why it's so important you pay attention. Because this is the most important decision you can ever make, is making Jesus your forgiver and your leader by surrendering your life to him. Man, that's huge. It means you have to say, Jesus, I want you to be my forgiver. I want you to be my leader. I want to ask you to into my life. Which means you surrender your life to him. And that's something I can't do for you. That's something you've got to do on your own. Just like contentment is learned, and I can teach you all about contentment, but until you walk it and learn it, you won't understand it. I can tell you about how to become a believer, but you won't understand it until you surrender your life to him. And so today, it's the day for you to do that. God wants to be your forgiver and your leader, and he's provided a way to do that, to erase your debt of sin. I've told you all morning that God is, uh, he's your provider and you can trust him. And we've talked to that in a financial way. But man, today, listen, before you get hung up on that stuff, I want you to know that he's your provider of salvation that can remove the debt of your sin. If you've never made the decision to follow him, make today that day. Don't leave without making that decision. Trust in him. Oh, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. For your friends that have already done that around you, they're praying for people just like you right now to make that decision. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song as a church. And I want to give you an opportunity. There's going to be some people in the front who are going to receive you. If you want to know more about following Jesus, you can come down to the front. And we're going to give you a new believer's Bible. We're also going to give you a book on what it means to know Jesus as your Savior. It talks about the sacrifice that he made and why that blood is perfect to be able to cover the sins of the world. It answers all these questions. We want to help you understand that. We know that, that there's a lot behind the scenes with that, but man, it's the best decision you'll ever make. If you're watching online, we'll get these resources to you as well. 
You can text the word surrender to 97000. You can do it from home. You can do it from your seat. Whatever you're comfortable doing, we want to make sure you get this information in your hands. This is the biggest decision that you can ever make. But I pray that you will do that. Today is a day that we learn about contentment. Today is a day we learn about God as our provider. Today is a day we learn that God can be trusted in both of those places. And today is a day that we learn that God cancels debt, especially the debt of our sins. Man, how awesome is that? It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I pray that in this final song, in this final moment as we spend together, that men and women here in this room and watching at home will make decisions to put their faith and trust in you. I pray, God, that your word as it was read today was moving in the hearts of people. May it stir and change lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together and sing.